you caught me last week. Uh, oh, there we go. I did uh, news and notes last week, and, and someone came up to me afterwards that I seemed uh, nervous and anxious to talk in front of everybody and do the news and notes. And, and here I am this morning going to talk about fear and anxiety. Isn't it nice? Isn't it nice? Be not afraid and then fear not are, are they're simple words. Uh, they're simply spoken and simply given. Simple to understand uh, when we read them in God's word. Uh, in my experience, though, uh, fear is not simple. Not at all. Do you think God understands this? And the answer is, of course he does. Of course he does. Why do we have an emotion that's so visceral? Why is it there? We'll gather here today, again, to hear uh, the truth, even when that truth is uncomfortable. I hope each of you is uh, prepared for that, not just for today, but for every Sunday, every time that you gather together to study God's Word, hopefully in a growth group uh, every week. Um, we meet on, on Wednesdays, and we'd love, if you don't have an in one, for you to come uh, and study with us, to hear the truth, to be open to rebuke and, and, and ready to understand, to probe the depths of Scripture. Would you pray with me again, please? Father, only you can take away these things that burden us so. And we are thankful for your word. Thank you for being here with me and affording this opportunity. Help my heart not to be hard. And for me to speak with clarity, coherence. That it's your word and not mine. Amen. So the world is possessed by fear. Um, it's propagation and consumption is an industry. We're all <laughs> aware of this seriously large industry built around people's fearful nature. Remember that in Scripture, we are likened to the particularly glorious animal, the sheep. We're like sheep. The wonderful, fearful, wandering sheep. But we know our master's voice, and we know when he calls and commands. We ought to. Do you? Do you hear his voice when he says, when he calls you? The word fear is defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. And it's easy to take this word and to move right into the, the reasonable fear stuff. Um, in a moment, like uh, you've seen the video going around of a cougar, like if you're seeing a cougar while you're hiking, you should be afraid. It's about to maul you to death. Stay away from it. That's rational. It, it makes sense. It's reasonable. Or we have things like phobias, specific phobias, definable, mostly tangible things that we're afraid of and that all people are predisposed to. If you have a phobia and you think it's irrational, yeah, you do. Like spiders and heights and sickness and uh, clowns. Clowns is a big one in my studying uh, for the last couple of weeks. People are afraid of clowns. I don't know why. Irrational fears, they are the low-hanging fruit of the worry world. Now, my friend Gatlin, whom I hope listens to this, he is moving down to a school right now, driving to Texas, and I promised him I'd bring this up because he has an irrational fear that's quite odd. He says he devotes, <laughs> is gets caught up in two minutes of every day, wasting his energy on the hypothetical thought trap concerning the manipulation, distortion, and damage of his finger and toenails. He worries about his toenails, like putting on socks when they get ripped off. I promised him I'd bring that up when he listens, so hello, Gatlin. <laughs> uh, sitting together the other night um, before bed, I asked my three oldest boys, 
uh, what their fears were. And I won't share the more sensitive ones, but I did get some answers for the typical irrational fear type fears, like clowns, the scary ones, uh, scary pictures in general. Uh, I'm still unsure where people are getting that kind of stuff. We don't watch a lot of horror stuff in our house. Uh, Sharp things like needles. Um, My own includes clowns. Bridget has an irrational fear of osteoporosis. Yeah, I don't know where that one comes from. And clowns, she's afraid of clowns too. Um, When I was little, I had a fuzzy framed picture of a clown in my room. That's probably where I get it. I don't know, maybe it stared at me. Uh, I can still see it in my mind's eye. You know, that's the kind of fear that we're talking about. In the the back of a study Bible, you can parse the various topics for consumption in reference to our heart's delight concerning all manner of things like fear. And in the looking, which I encourage you to do, each of you, later today and tonight, open up your Bible and and go through and read about something that's on your mind, uh, we find fear has a proper place of proper use, a function for rebuke and even for praise, all concerning the God over existence itself. Uh, Go read Psalm 22 if you want to read about praise and fear together when you're reading your Bible later today. Um, but fear also has an improper place. Uh, it can be abused and distorted. Maybe some of you are thinking right now what your irrational fears are. Do you fear that someone will get close to you? Uh, do you fear judgment? Do you fear society? Do you fear yourself, knowing your own wants, desires? Do you have some unnameable fear, a general fear about life And the world, um, anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. This past week, have you felt anxiety, fear, frustration, emptiness, purposelessness, impatience, and restlessness? I want to admit to everyone that can hear my voice now that uh, I dwelt in my own anxiety concerning this very sermon and what I'm speaking about today. Uh, It cast a shadow over my nights. It put a din on my morning today. I was ruminating over the very thing that I'm doing right now. This fear, it stole from me. It took my joy. It lied to me. This type of besetting fear is the one I want to focus on the most. Some of you may have read or heard that there are 365 times in the Bible that it says, do not fear. And I believe that I've said this before in a vain attempt to comfort someone with a quip and not actually going to Scripture regarding what a situation might um, reveal itself uh, in our Bibles. It doesn't, state, stay, it doesn't straight say fear that many times, but uh, 86 times in the Old Testament, it says fear not and be not afraid. 27 times in the New Testament, 113 times in total. Um, maybe you've ever heard someone like a grandparent or a parent say, if I'm repeated, I must mean it. You ever heard somebody say that? I repeat it, I must mean it. Yeah. So I want you to open up uh, your Bibles now to Joshua chapter 1. And I didn't bookmark mine, so I'll take, it'll take that time so you can go. And open up with me if you have your Bible, or uh, open it up on your phone. So I want you to read it with me. Go to Joshua. Joshua 1, verse 9. And it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Have I not commanded you? You can do a Google search of Joshua 1.9, and you see all the meme-type quotes out there. There's lots of fluffy cloud pictures or, or nice dark back candle stuff or whatever, and it says this quote, 
And, and something that stuck out to me right away in doing some searches for it is that first part of the sentence. Now, maybe I'm misreading to it, and I pray that I'm not, truly. But it says, have I not commanded you? All those little meme-type pictures, they start with, do not be afraid. Or they start with, I'm sorry, be strong and of good courage. They left out the first part of the verse. One of the first times I ever taught, I had a warning of a friend who said, make sure not to take it out of context. Don't just read the little parts that you think you agree with. And I'm trying not to. If you go back through chapter 1 all the way through verse 9, it's God's commission to Joshua. He's talking about it. So Moses has just died. And he's going through these instructions, things, and they're going to cross the Jordan very soon. There's certain context. These directives for Joshua concerning what is about to happen as they cross the Jordan. But without reading ourselves into the Old Testament narrative, we read a very bold and very pointed instruction. The prevalence of this mandate is obvious throughout Scripture. And if you are struggling with fear, don't be afraid. You are in good company. There are giants in the Old and New Testament. Not the giants like when people talk about the city. Giants like, like giants, like scriptural giants. Like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, Mary, Peter, Paul. They all felt fear. They experienced the very real constricting emotion that is fear. But didn't God say, I am with you wherever you go? Wherever you go. Didn't God say? I'm not talking through this to explain anyone, anyone's troubles away. To explain away your emotions. Um, but to frame them. To find perspective for our emotions in God's word. We are to meditate on God. His truth, this tendency to work through occasions, instances, troubles, etc. in life. Think on it like a spectrum. At the far end is worry. Constant overwhelming anxiety concerning something happening in your life. But what's on the other side of this meditation spectrum? It's the ability to understand a situation deeply. We have a power and a love and a sound mind given to us. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Stop meditating on the wrong things. Let God frame your understanding of the occasions in life. Let him set the intentions of your mind, of your heart. I'm going to read it, but you can go to 1 John 4, 18. And it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In the fullness of trust, we learn to place it in God, our good, good Father. Believe the truth about God. Stop thinking wrongly. Learn not to fear. We hope in the Lord, and as we think on and process this understanding, it dispels fear and anxiety. A right view of God, a right view of God in our relationship with him. Is it God's will that you not murder? Is it God's will that you not lie, that you not steal, that you not covet? Is it God's will that you not fear? Each of these other things is a sin. It's easy for us to talk about, to condemn it in another person's life. We see it and we're like, that, that, that's a sin. And you, you see it. That person's sinning. We get down about the world, worried, fearful, cowering in our own understanding. And all of a sudden, it's not a sin. I'm just having a bad day. I'm just down about stuff that I don't understand. It's not a sin. I can't help it. 
But who do we think we are? Do we decide on our own moral compass? Did you pick the things that you would look at with a critical eye today or the things you would just like gloss over? I'm done with it. I hear a lot of people say that. I'm done with this. Fear is so common among Christians today that it becomes sin. Anxiety, sin, fear, it's from the devil. And the doubt it creates ends up being directed at God. And that is damnable sin. And now a warning. Before I move on, I'm not speaking about, and I'm going to be very clear about this, uh, the mental dispositions brought about by a disordered physiology. Uh, a person that may have uh, medical needs concerning fear and anxiety and coming to that conclusion and an understanding the besetting nature of a person's broken, fallen nature is to be stepped through carefully, carefully with a friend, a doctor, and a pastor, an elder. I ask that you evaluate yourselves. And if this topic incites you, then all the more evaluate yourself. Seek God's intervention. Or have we forgotten that our creator knows every bit of you, every dark corner of your mind, every secret fear rooted in the deep places in your heart? He knows and provides solace and comfort and promises of redemption and salvation because he loves. He knows unlike any other earthly friend or family member, he knows because he's been there, he's been afraid and anxious, tempted, sweating blood. He knows what it is to fear. So don't think your creator doesn't understand you. I'm going to turn with me to Isaiah 43. And I'll turn there too. I don't have it bookmarked. I'll go there too. Isaiah 43. 1 through 7. So please follow along with me. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he formed you, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba, in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Have you ever read that before? We can be aware of a lot of scripture, but have you ever sat and read it, meditated on it. Learning not to fear can take a lifetime of study and meditation on God's word, but it would not be a wasted life. What a worthy pursuit, reading God's word. Do we linger on it, stand on it? His word, 
trouble is coming. Don't be swept up in it. We will watch as the world falls more and more deeply into fear, anxiety, as a basic way of existing. God has not promised us a life without trouble. Go to the right side of the book, Philippians 4. I'm all over the place, I'm sorry. Oh, that's Philemon. It said PH. Sorry. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And read with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What I'm doing here, what we're doing here, is not well-wishing. It's not a set of good intentions that you can kind of guide your day with. It's actual instruction in righteousness. Instructions for your attitude and actions as the world witnesses them because of what has been done for you. Do you believe the entire gospel? Which parts don't you believe? Which parts weren't you okay with this morning? Is it just the forgiveness part that you like? I like that I'm forgiven. But what about the rest? What about the parts that change who you are? That change and command your behavior? Even your very thoughts. We hold every thought captive. Remember that he said, have I not commanded you? Since God does not owe us a life without fear and anxiety, let each moment that passes from now and until the end be a gift born out of infinite grace in the face of an infinitely just and righteous God. Cast yourself off and hold fast to the promises born in the person of Christ and carried out on the cross. We forget that we are imputed with grace But once in all of Scripture, sin was imputed to an innocent man who died for us. That was God being glorified. Do you believe in the God, Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. What are these fears that poke at your heart, that jab you in the chest? Do you want to know a man that can give you rest? Do you want to decide for yourself the type of rest you think you need? The type of rest that the world tells you you need? I pray that this is not, again, speaking out of the hardness of my own heart. But I would ask you to evaluate yourself. The self-care and self-love agendas and mantras that are out in the world that tell that a person can determine their own rest. They can alleviate their own fears, cast away their own worries. You can't. Look to the one who can provide true care, true rest, the one being, the one person who promises and keeps his promises, your Lord, Jesus Christ. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The most repeated negative prohibition in the entire Bible. When we focus on our anxieties, we focus on ourselves. And we forget 
We forget his goodness. We forget his name. We forget that we are caught in our own troubles. How can we forget this? How can we deny the obvious that God is sovereign and in control at all times, mighty to save and willing to do so to send his son to die on a cross for our sake? We fear and doubt and fret and worry. We're hand-wringing. You ever seen someone do this the entire time wondering, what are we going to do? Don't we already know? We've been given a command. And what do we say to ourselves in times of trouble, in times of pruning and chastening? We say, what am I going to do? What is God doing through you in your life, through your struggle, for your sake and for the people around you to see how you suffer, how you deal with it? Because you know something that they don't. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Where are you standing? Are you resting on your own knowledge of the world? Our Savior met people where they were and answered questions no one had to ask that people were crying out for an answer. I hear of people today in the news and in media, they're screaming out for guidance to existential issues that they can't solve. They plague an entire planet, anxious to a fault, people attempting to live their own lives, their own truth, their own way, and bring their own light. We're way too much in our own heads, so stop it. Be quiet and listen to God's word and what he has to say about himself and a right understanding of him, about us and our world, where we're going and where we've been. If in a moment you are given the grace of some emboldening emotion, then praise God for it. Praise him for that mercy. For it's been given through commandments and decrees that have no left and right. And if we feel like it that morning, feel like it that morning, be thankful. There are many who won't ever feel like it, whether deluded or ill, ever. I was listening to Paul Washer. Um, if you ever heard of him, he's a fun guy to listen to. Uh, talk through thankfulness. And as he was working through, he made it to Romans 21. At the end of his talk, you see a group of people who know God but are not thankful. Their view of him is twisted in reverse. It's not proper. It's low. Which in reality is a high view of yourself. It's idolatry. Is that where we are? Sinning all the way. Is that where you are? The world is going to give you all kinds of great advice. For dealing with fears and anxieties. Magazines and books abounding. Planned readings for you. Meditations for you. Mindfulness for you. And understanding for you and your self-aware inward eye that promises to tell you the truth concerning your struggle, concerning your fear. Don't believe it. You've already been told the truth. God says that he is sovereign, Christ is Lord, and his spirit our help. Our comfort, our courage is Christ. Fear not. If you are sick of anxiety and fear in your life, always looking to the trouble of another day, cast it on the one person who can take it from you, Jesus Christ. Hear the gospel. Turn, repent, be baptized, be redeemed. Come speak with someone here. Uh, Pastor Aaron an elder, we will make time for you to talk, to listen. 
email, book, call, something. Don't sit where you are. We love you. Do you believe that? We love you. We want you to have a life focused properly on Christ, a life filled with peacefulness, confidence, assurance, hope, boldness, and joy. I want that for you. I think I get misinterpreted sometimes. When I tell my friends to stop doing something, when I tell people that I I work with and I mentor to stop it, just stop it. It's not because I don't like what you're doing. It's because my heart is breaking for what you're doing to yourself. Stop it. Stop. There's a man who died for you, who loves you. So call out his name. Say, I need help. He's right there the whole time, just waiting for you to reach out to him. John 14, 27 says, and we're going to close and move into a time of communion after this. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Isn't it incredible that your maker tells you things? That we can listen and obey, learn to love the way he has taught us to, and lean on him. He left us another thing. A time of communion. A time when we can gather together to eat, to drink. Examine yourselves this morning and think on why you would want to take communion with other people, other believers. To see this broken bread and poured out wine, his body and his blood given for you. A free gift to be taken in peace along with other people, other believers who declare the same thing that you may have declared. Some of you not, some of you yes. If you're at home, I invite you to get out uh, the elements and take them together. We listen to Jake play. And when you're ready, take and eat and drink and remember your Lord, your Savior, who died and poured himself out for you down to the last drop.